Hey everyone, Mike from the Turn Up This Podcast here. I just wanted to make a quick announcement. I had some confusion from a couple listeners in my DMs thinking that our Patreon was a lot of money per month. But just to dispel any confusion, our Patreon is only a dollar a month. And for that, you get extra episodes and longer versions of these regular episodes. For instance, the Patreon version of this Australia episode is 45 minutes longer. But I also wanted to try something else. I'd actually prefer our listeners sign up to the Red Nation podcast Patreon. Their most recent episode, they were talking about all the good things that their Patreon funds and the good work that they're able to do with their Patreon funds. So I would actually really like it if our listeners would subscribe to them for a dollar a month. And if anyone does that, and then send us proof that you did that either by email at turnleftistpodcast at gmail.com, or you can send it to any of our social medias that you can find on our link tree, link tree slash turnleftist. If you do that, then I will send you the link to our premium RSS feed. And then if you feel like subscribing to our Patreon for another dollar a month, great but you will already have all the access to the premium content. So it will be purely voluntary at that point. But I just wanted to try that out and see if I can get some more subscribers for the Red Nation podcast Patreon. They're not associated with us in any way. I'd be surprised if they even know who we are, but I've just been a big fan of that podcast and the work that they're doing for a long time. So I would really like if our listeners subscribe to them as well. Thanks as always, comrades. everybody welcome back to the turn left the podcast uh mike he him and tonight i'm here with sterling he him ward he him and our special guest jared he him as well hello and jared is from australia and he's going to talk to us about neoliberalism in australia and we finally get to have somebody with a cool accent on the podcast how's it going jared it's going good my accent is not that cool it's not like that good of an accent other australians have better australian accents mine's too like normal sounding i was talking to an, uh, a guy from ireland that i worked with recently and he was telling me how when he goes out to bars when he talks to women like he just notices the change in their face as soon as he speaks for the first time and they hear the accent come out of his mouth because they don't expect it it's just kind of a known thing here in america like people swoon over british accents irish accents and everything and he knows a lot of people from other countries as well particularly from like Eastern Europe. And he says, they don't get the same treatment. I don't know why that is. He's like, they just, uh, people look at the, people look down on them. They don't think that they're smarter or something be, or classy because they have that accent. I'm like, yeah, dude, that's American racism. You, you, you nailed it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I was in, I was in Poland once long story, but I was in an elevator with some Texans and they were just like, Oh God, blown away. They were blown away. <laughs> but I was like, I, I said my friend's name, Peter. And one of them turned around to me and said, you know, Peter has an ER in it. And I was like, shut the fuck up. Shut <laughs> up. You fucking getting told how to speak by someone from fucking Texas. Come on. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. The level of disrespect they had. <laughs> I know. Just so arrogant. I bet he didn't even have any cows or a six shooter on him. Probably fucking. I know. I'm pretty sure one of them was wearing a hat, a cowboy hat. So, <laughs> got to respect that. All right, so I guess to start off the topic, we'll talk about neoliberalism, the effects that it's had on Australia, how it's been implemented. By way of an introduction, I know at least for myself, like when I was a younger liberal, I had the impression that life in Australia or New Zealand, the UK, et cetera, were all 
pretty similar to the Scandinavian countries because all you really hear about is universal health care and the dole or whatever other social benefits they have. And that compared to the U.S., it was basically like a, a socialist, you know, quote unquote, socialist paradise compared to hypercapitalism the way we live it. But, you know, as you do when you get into studying more about political economy, especially if you get into any of the left tendencies, you, of course, will find out that all the social services, the people in the governments of those countries like to brag about are still subject to cuts or even privatization or outright cancellation at any point. And this is not even to mention the fact that obviously the funding for all of these comparatively generous social safety nets in these countries is, of course, predicated on the exploitation and suffering of marginalized people, both domestically and in the global south. Should go without mentioning for this podcast, but I'll mention it anyway. But the viability still of or even existence of these programs is always subject to the whims of the moneyed elites, who are, of course, the real wielders of political power. So that being said, let's get into some of the notes that Jared has brought. Thank you for uh, doing my work for me this episode, Jared. So, Jared, if you could start us off, tell us a little bit about the Hawke and Keating governments and how they paved the way for neoliberalism in Australia. I think sort of a good place to start is where you, you sort of said, you know, we, you look at Australia, you look at, you look at our social services and all the rest of it. On paper, we look like the sort of Scandinavian countries or New Zealand or whatever. And yeah, we are on paper. It does look very good, but it's like... It's not really like that. Like, don't get me wrong. It's better than living in America, I'm sure. Uh, having never been there. Don't rub but... it in, dude. Come on. Yeah, low from bar. I've heard, low bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. From what I've heard, it's better than living in America. <laughs> but it's not quite as good as what people pretend or say it is. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot mm -hmm. of our sort of successes have been sort of gradually worn away and uh, don't exist as much anymore like our, our medicare program for example people talk about medicare and how we have free health care it's actually just a public option like it's not proper it's not proper medicare so it's like you have medicare if you cannot afford private health insurance so we have a two-tiered system don't get me wrong it's great like if i don't have private health insurance if i get cancer i can go to hospital and get it fixed for free Right. Mm. So it's nice. How do they determine uh, who can and can't afford it? Whether or not you have it is the determination. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <it's> like, <laughs> okay. okay. Whether it, but also, That's like, there's, income, yeah. <laughs> there's the sort of technocratic stuff that the Democrats love as well that we have. So it's like if your income's within a certain bracket, you're eligible for bulk billing, stuff like that. So all of our sort of social services and whatever are subject very heavily to like means testing and stuff like that. So it's not. I was going to say when you yeah. said that, it sounded like the Pete Buttigieg wet dream of uh, healthcare options. Yeah. So um, we didn't have neoliberalism. We, we got it at about the same time you guys got it, except mm -hmm. our hey. government, which brought it in, was our quote unquote left wing party. Right. Can relate. The Labour Party which is a workers' party. Um, yeah. They're the party that brought in neoliberalism into Australia, specifically the Hawke-Keating government, which that was during the 70s. We make you all workers. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, um, I just ripped the first paragraph of the Wikipedia for the Hawke-Keating government, um, and that lasted from 83 to 96. So the Hawke-Keating labor governments were instrumental in implementing deregulation policies that resulted in modernizing Australia's economy. Emerging industries replaced traditional ones that suddenly became non-competitive as productivity in the finance, education, and legal sector increased as real wages grew concurrently. 
the decision to transition the Australian dollar to a floating exchange rate in 1983 increased stability and confidence in the economy as part of the deregulation program that laid the foundations for a modern economy. While privatization is supported by neoliberal ideology that stipulates less government intervention in the economy, Australia's history of privatization was initiated under a labor government, which appears to defy labor party policy objectives. However, during the Hawke-Keating years, there were attempts to remove the ideological underpinnings of the debate on privatization, as the approach taken by the government was, quote, more about a pragmatic choice, end quote, to modernize and open the economy to international markets. Prime Minister Hawke said, quote, the difference between us will be one of ideology. That will distinguish us from the opposition, who are the liberals. Hawke was rebuking the charge that labor had abandoned its commitments to public ownership and enterprise, while highlighting the need for economic rationalism in order to address pressing economic problems. The consensus-style leadership of Bob Hawke enabled structural economic reforms through the accords struck in 1983 between Labor and the Australian Council of Trade Unions, the ACTU. Who'd you have, Jared? Sorry. I was just going to say, when he did this uh, later, in the last couple of years, in reflection over his legacy, this is Keating, um, when he's been accused of bringing in neoliberalism to Australia, what he said is like, no, it wasn't neoliberalism, it was laborism. That's... That was his defense. It's laborism. It's actually, uh, it's for the workers. It's good. The two parties you have are labor and liberals, and the liberals are your conservative party, and the labor is the, like, your Democrats. Okay, so labor is like our Democrats, basically. So they're our Mm -hmm. left-wing party. He's doing air quotes uh, for our listeners. Yeah, yeah, air quotes. (laughs) Um, And our liberal party is our right-wing party, even though they're called the liberals. So they're... um, Think liberal as in like, think nope. liberal as in like um, classical neoliberalism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they're in a coalition with the Nationals, right? So the Nationals are another party. They're like the Liberals, but even more right wing, and they're based in rural areas. So they have a coalition government. We also have like fifty million single issue parties. Most of them are Nazis. And we also have a Greens party, which has only support in like one state mostly. And they've only ever had like three people in government at any one time out of like 200. So they're pretty minor. They're better than our Green party. Yeah. <laughs> our Green party, I believe, is actually held like held control of individual city councils. And also, I believe at one point, they had control over a state government in Victoria for a few years. So they're pretty big, but they're also not, they're not Marxists or anything like that. They're sock Dems, basically. Not, and not even that, I don't think. Yeah. Well, the last thing I had here, just the last sentence of that first paragraph, that accord that I referenced that was struck in 1983 between Labor and the Australian Council of Trade Unions, the ACTU, this accord brought together various stakeholders from unions. That's a red flag. Anytime you hear stakeholders, you know it's going to be some neoliberal bullshit. But uh, this brought together various stakeholders from unions, welfare organizations, and the business community to secure a mandate for market-oriented economic reforms while remaining committed to social progress. So not really at all committed to social progress, just committed to markets. Basically, whatever is good for the market, you just assume via neoliberal ideology that it's also going to be good for the people because that's what neoliberalism is. Assuming that if it's good for businesses, it's good for everybody because we're talking trickle-down economics again. So just to be clear... Hawk and Keating, two different people. I'm assuming that Hawk was first and then Keating followed right after him and they both just followed the same program in that time from 83 to 96? Yeah, they swapped. They swapped over. I think one of them was deputy, one of them was the prime minister, then they swapped over. And they were really popular. 
They were like really, really popular. And the guy who brought in Medicare was Gough Whitlam. He was before, he was in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Gough Whitlam actually also tried to privatize our, uh, sorry, not privatize, he tried to nationalize our mines, which is very based. And then the Queen deposed him. Uh, so that's a whole little kettle of fish. That was our most left-wing government we've ever had. And the only time the Queen and the Governor-General, who's the Queen's representative in Australia, has ever stepped into Australian politics was during the constitutional crisis in the 1970s to oust our most left-wing government over some bullshit about the budget or something. They couldn't get a budget through. But it's just a weird coincidence that it happened to be the government that brought in Medicare and also tried to nationalize the mines. So Yeah, it's just a total coincidence, I'm sure. Yeah, just a weird coincidence. I thought the queen was just a figurehead. I thought she really didn't have any political power because that's what everybody says when they come to the queen's defense or defend the monarchy at all. They say, oh, well, she's just kind of this ceremonial head of power. She doesn't really do anything. She mostly just sits back and collects millions of dollars from the taxpayers and just acts as a big leech on the entire country. But Yep, that's what idealism gets you, kids. <laughs> yeah. So the main, the main thing that the queen can step in with is if the government cannot pass supply, like a budget, then the governor general can step in and call for a snap election, a double dissolution of parliament, both houses, and they go to an election. And that's what they did with Gough Whitlam. And uh, he couldn't get reelected, basically. Mm. He lost that snap election. Yeah, so it's like, ever since then, we've been on a... Uh, that was when we put in place all like the social safety nets. And ever since then, they've been slowly worn away. On the snap election, how does that, how's that voted on? Is that like within, within the whatever the congressional body is? I'm not sure how the, that's all set up. Or is that something voted on by the people? It's voted by the people through, you know, voting, going to a poll place. Like what you guys have, okay. except we actually can do it. We have like 97% voter turnout. Because oh, wow. it's, um, if you don't vote, you get fined $1,000. So it's, um, you have to vote. I actually don't hate that. No, that's pretty good, actually. You also, by law, your employer has to give you time to go vote. Oh, they can't keep you at work. Yeah, definitely appreciate that. Should be. Let me let me ask you this: with your voting, I mean, is that truly democratic? Is there gerrymandering going on? Yeah, there's gerrymandering. Yep. Okay. But it's not first past the post; it's preferential. So oh, nice. Um, if the party you put in doesn't win, you put in a second preference. And your vote huh. goes to them, and you pick about ten different preferences, and it keeps going down as they don't win. Wow! If they don't win, yeah. But if there was no gerrymandering, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, but there is gerrymandering. But our districts yeah. don't change that often. They change mm-hmm. only every decade or so, or something like that. We probably will get bogged down a couple times in the particulars of how your government works as opposed to ours. But I think the overall message will be that they are very similar. Okay. Um. The best way of thinking about the Australian Parliament is it works like the British one. It's a British system. So it's the same as England, except our house. You know how they have the House of Lords who are like, they transition through birth or something, some weird antiquated bullshit. Um, Yeah, the House of Lords is not elected in England. Our House of Lords is the House of Representatives, and they are Mm -hmm. elected. So besides that, it's basically the same system. (laughs) Yeah, it's silly. 
I, I just like two things. One, our actual uh, leaders are not elected either. They're Raytheon and J.P. Morgan. <laughs> you know, they, it's very much born into yeah, power well. here. But the second thing, let's keep in mind our listeners also have, and I'm not trying to bash our listeners, but most of our listeners are probably only familiar with the American model and probably only to an extent as most of us are. So I, I don't want to compare too much to the British model because that is something that you really do have to study deep on. And, you know, here in the States, one thing you learn is if you're not even in the same state as anyone else, then that's typically foreign policy to those residents. Yeah. I don't know a whole lot about English politics or Australian politics, of course. Mm -hmm. But I've found that if I just understand that they have MPs instead of representatives or congressmen or senators, that pretty much gets you halfway there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, why would you need to understand English politics? It wasn't that what 1776 was about? <laughs> That's why I have guns, bro. <laughs> you mean taxing my tea, brother? We got senators in our upper house. Is the Senate. So that's kind of like you guys. We got a Senate. Yeah, it's the same shit, yeah. like I said. Every state has an equal amount of senators, even though some states have like five people in them. So it's like... And relate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's no good. <laughs> Um, Jared, what I wanted to see is if you had any more stuff that you wanted to tell us about Hawk and Keating in particular and what they did to get the ball rolling as far as neoliberals in Australia, or if you wanted to go on and talk about the things that they privatized, things that they cut. I noticed the biggest one that I put down was the privatization of water for cotton growing, which was a big topic of your notes. So um, Hawk and Keating themselves didn't necessarily privatize that much stuff. They did water. And that was one of them, but the bulk of the privatization came after them. I've got like a list of stuff that got privatized. So like they didn't privatize it, but they paved the way. And over the course of many decades, like 40, 50 years since then, we basically sold everything off. Like literally everything is privatized now. So we used to have a national post office that was owned and operated by our government. We used to have a national telco, like telecommunication organization that was run and paid for by the government. Our electricity grid was publicly owned. Our airline, Qantas, was publicly owned. Like all these things were publicly owned and now they're not. Like we used to be based. Like it's, it's wild. <laughs> we used to have it. We used to have all this stuff, but now it's all privately owned and it sucks. It fucking sucks. They all suck. Well, I mean, Australia that's how this post. works. Like, if yeah. they had done that to begin with, like if Hawk and Keating had come into power and said, look, this is our new program. We are just all about the markets. We don't give a fuck what happens to the little guys who are benefiting off of these social programs. It's all going to be privatized. It's all going to get cut. Business first. Obviously, people would get out in the streets and they would do some shit, but you can't do it all at once. So what you have is these guys who, yep. they come in, they write the policies, they open the door for all of it to happen slowly but surely, decades at a time, so that when you have something like the miners' strike in England, it's like, oh, it's just some miners. Nobody really cares about miners. Fuck those guys. They can just get a better job. Like, they should learn how to code or some <laughs> shit. You know, then just is one industry after another, and you have another section of the population that becomes proletarianized. And so, yeah, of course, that's here, how it works. By the way. What's that? Going on strike is illegal. They made it illegal in the last, like, 10 years. Jesus. Oh, yeah. my God. Yep. I mean, you can go off on that if you want. That's a good topic. Yeah, so, so that's what I mean, is people don't know this stuff about Australia, is striking is literally fucking illegal. My dad just got an erection, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they haven't really enforced it that much, but on paper, it is illegal. You need to get permits and various things if you want to do any kind of... Uh, 
striking or whatnot. But yeah, you're right. They don't sell it as being like, oh, we're business first, fuck ordinary people, etc., etc. They never sell it that way. They sold it as like modernizing <laughs> our economy. And a lot of oh, the writing God. that you will read by like mainstream newspapers in Australia will say, this is the common thing that people bring up. And I used to repeat this back when I was cringe. Um, Hawke and Keating were the best economic managers of Australia. That is the line every idiot repeats. Hawke mm. and Keating were the best economic managers. Hawke and Keating were the best economic managers. You just repeat that over and over and again. What that actually yeah. means is um, neoliberalism is good and we like it. But people don't look into it that much. That makes my yeah. eyes rain. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> I can't express the anger I feel towards these political uh, beings that I've never even heard of prior to this episode. But at the same time, yeah. now I know what I could say if I go to Australia sometime and I'm having a beer and I talk to some random strangers and politics comes up. I'll just say that, and they'll instantly think I'm a good guy <laughs> who knows what he's talking about. Would you have? And a then word? they'll buy. They'll buy your tab. Yeah, it's the best in economics. So, Jared, you'll be, like, a good one to talk to, because I saw this recently, just learned it, is that uh, Australia doesn't have, like, a Bill of Rights. Nice. Um, <laughs> no, nah, mate. No. Nah. <laughs> Not like we really have a strong one here, but like, <laughs> you guys are just straight up mask off, like, nah, fuck that. Yeah, so we, uh, we had, like, guns. That was a thing we had. Based. <laughs> yeah, we had... Okay, so we had guns, and then we had the Port Arthur yeah. massacre, and then now we have no guns. So... That'll do it's it. because we don't have a Bill of Rights. That's the main reason. Yeah. Like, things can change overnight. Uh, do you guys know about the Port Arthur massacre? Yes. Yeah. All I know is that it was, like, your one mass shooting, you know, that we have, like, <laughs> dozens of here every year. We just don't bat an eye. But, like, you had one, and that was all you needed to take away the guns and, you know, actually enact some really strict gun control. We, we didn't have a huge, like, gun culture or anything like that. We, right. we had them, mostly farmers, stuff like that. Um, and farmers still have guns. But we, we did a buyback thing after that mass shooting, you know, bought back all the guns. But um, we, Australia is, like, sort of generally compliant with anything our governments do. We don't kick up a fuss. Like, last year when coronavirus happened, we went to lockdown for six months and no one cared. Um, we were all just like, cool, we're doing that. So we have a different sort of political culture where we sort of don't believe in rights in inverted You can just columns. say you're sheeple. That's all right. Yeah, we're sheeple. Uh, that's what we are. <laughs> I mean, unironically, yes, but also, like, sometimes it's good, like, when coronavirus happens and... Like, we eliminated the virus for six months. Yeah. We had no, no, I was COVID definitely jealous here. at that point. Yeah. We had no COVID here until, like, June this year. And now we're having thousands of cases every day. So that's, um, that's fun. But we are generally compliant with that sort of stuff. And we don't have a Bill of Rights. We don't have, like, free speech or anything like that. We have freedom of political speech in our constitution. Mm. But we don't have, like, a freedom of speech sort of thing. But I'm sort of like neither here or there on the whole free speech thing because I know freedom of speech is mostly just an excuse to be racist. So it's not yep. really like it's never like the people who are always talking about freedom of speech are people who suck, if that makes yeah. sense. Like it's the it's never like people I agree with. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, yeah. it really is just an excuse to say bigoted shit, ignorant shit, stuff that is based completely on opinion rather than fact. 
And I get a lot of pushback, especially from liberals and Americans and stuff, when I say that I don't think free speech is a good idea at all. And that I think no investigation, no right to speak is a much better way of uh, operating. Because, yep. you know, I would rather hear from scientists, from doctors, than the anti-vaxxers who did research on their toilet. For one small example, I suppose, but like, just in general, yeah, I would rather hear from people who actually know what they're talking about, who have done the study, and who make a living studying actual scientific facts or anything that requires some kind of significant knowledge. I'd rather hear from them than people who just feel like their opinions should be heard. And again, in practice, like yeah. you say, it mostly just exists as something to fall back on for people who insist that they have the right to say something, no matter how objectionable, stupid, or bigoted it may be. And these people, like everyone says, and it's a very common thing here, is of like, well, we need to let these Nazis speak. We need to hear them out so we can fight, combat their ideas. And I'm like, why? why? We did that. It was called World War II. Like, yeah. we, like we let them do their thing. It sucked. So we don't do it anymore. Yeah. And if it pops up again, we crush it. Like, that's what we should do. Like, yeah. it's not There's like... literally only two kinds of people who say that we need to combat fascism with better ideas. It's fascists and people who are dumb enough that they're sympathizing with fascists and don't realize how fucking stupid they're being. Like, they're literally just gullible enough that they are buying fascist rhetoric and taking them at their word that they are just, you know, yeah. free speech warriors. Um, so yeah. I guess let's get into... Um, the privatization of water, that came up a little bit. So mostly what I saw mentioned in some of the stuff that you sent me in your notes was that it was used for cotton, at least in recent years. Yeah. And um, the stuff that I clipped from this one article, there were some charges levied against these corporate water thieves. And then, of course, the charges were dropped. To quote this one article, so the New South Wales water regulator says it is, quote, considering its options. After the Land and Environment Court of New South Wales dismissed all charges against two men accused of water theft. Is it Walget or Walget? No idea. Uh, okay. Is that a town? Yeah, it looks like it. Walget Landholder Peter Harris. Uh, Walget, probably. Okay, we'll say Walget. Walget Landholder Peter Harris and employee Justin Timms were charged with allegedly taking water from the Barwon Darling River while metering equipment was not operating or was not operating properly. So the charges were laid last year in relation to the alleged water take in 2015. On Friday, a judge dismissed all charges against the defendants on the basis the prosecutor had not proven all of the offenses beyond reasonable doubt. So, I mean, I didn't take a whole lot from that article just because it's just a, a tale we've heard a million times. Like, of course, if you are somebody who steals a loaf of bread because you're starving, you're going to get the book thrown at you when you get caught. You're going to go to jail for months on end, if not years, and your life is going to be ruined forever after. But if you work for a corporation and you steal a bunch of water from people who are literally experiencing a drought, nothing's going to happen to you. Even when you get caught, even when it's a blatant theft, you're just going to be fine because that's just how it is. It's how, that's how courts so, work in every capitalist country. So it's especially bad here in Australia because we have been, in the last 20 years, since the year 2000, we've been in a drought from then up until like this year. This year we had an El Nino, which is like, or El Nina, whichever one's the one that means lots of rain. Mm -hmm. We had one of those. And now all our dams, all our rivers are full again for the first time in like 20 years. So this water theft is especially egregious because you think about the fact that this country is in a drought. It's been in a drought because it's a very dry country. It's a desert. The whole country is a desert except around the rim of the country, basically. So, you know, Australia is the size of the US, except yeah. the entirety of it is a desert except around the edge, which is a bush. It's just bush. It's all green and tropical. And that's where most of the people live. So on the whole, Australia, just in general, does not have water. 
So when farmers decide to grow crops that are extremely water intensive, like cotton, which just straight up cotton should not be grown in this country. It just should not be grown here. Like it just makes zero sense. This is the sort of thing where people talk about, oh, you know, the neolibs and the capitalists, they're like extremely, they're efficient, you know? We think mm-hmm. of them as they're very efficient. They're very, um, they will always act rationally. There's nothing rational about growing cotton in Australia. Absolutely nothing rational <laughs> about it. It's predicated on stealing water. That's the only way you can get enough water. Like uh, this one article I have said, the cotton industry drains the whole Sydney Harbour's worth of water multiple times every year. That's how much water it uses. And it takes it from the Murray-Darling, which is one of our main rivers. The Murray-Darling in 2019 had a fish kill. I don't know if you guys know what a fish kill is. I saw that in the article, but go ahead, yeah. Okay, so basically it's where the water level was reduced to such an extent that there was able to be an algae bloom. And this algae bloom killed one million fish at least. Oh, shit. Which doesn't sound like many fish, but it's, they are, they're all fish. like salmon. They're very, yeah. very big fish and also a very important part of the ecosystem. And this is all just because cotton farmers stole water. Right. Like, and no charges, nothing. So we're in the middle of a drought. We're growing these stupid crops that we shouldn't be growing. And they're just stealing water and there's no punishment for it ever. Like, it makes no sense. It's totally corrupt. I wanted to say, like, to explain a little further what I was mentioning earlier about this way that these people were able to steal the water by not having the meters on, basically. It seems like what you guys have there is this licensing thing. And, you know, Americans like to make fun of the U.S. or, I mean, sorry, the U.K. for having, like, a a license for everything, like a TV license even. In Australia, it seems to be a similar approach is that they have what's called this uh, no license, no pump rule. Sorry, no meter, no pump. And so you have to have a meter attached to your pumps all the time so that when you pump water, they know how much you're using. And it's just like electricity or any other resource, like they have to know how much you're using so that you can be charged accordingly. Otherwise, there's no way to keep track of who's using the water and hold people accountable. They say that uh, if, for example, a farmer disconnected the meter from the pump and took water, you'd be unable to prove that that particular offense had occurred by virtue of the fact the cable had been disconnected. If there's a mandatory metering provision in place, which is attached to the license or works approval, that's fine because the prosecutor could then seek to prosecute under a separate offense provision. Meaning that if they just disconnect the meter, then now, now that is an offense. And then you can assume that they have been stealing water and prosecute accordingly. And of course, the problem arises when you don't prosecute or you drop the charges against the people who have money, as opposed to the small-time farmers who are just trying to grow some crops on their own land or whatever. And of course, the farmers use, like the whole farming industry, the big, big corporate farmers, they use the little guys as propaganda tools, basically. They'll be mm-hmm. like, oh, you, you, you have the same thing in the US. You know, where your big agribusinesses will be like, they will portray themselves as like these little guys who are, you know, the individual farmers who have their own land and work their own land and not acknowledging the reality that most of the farms are in fact massive fucking companies with billions of dollars in turnover like right that also don't pay their workers particularly well they don't follow the laws that they should be following etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's um yeah it's funny because i was just listening to, before we got on tonight i was listening to an episode of the eat the rich podcast and it's episode 94 and it was about a couple of billionaires in california who make their money from privatizing water 
using it to grow crops. They own the wonderful pomegranate company. They grow a lot of pomegranates for their pomegranate juice company in California. And basically their entire business model relies on taking water out of the public utility and using it for their private farms. They use in just like a single month what the entire city of San Diego or San Francisco uses in like a year or something. It's like some ridiculous amount of water that they're using because people don't realize how much water it takes. Another cool little factoid they said in the episode was that it takes a gallon of water to grow one almond. And these people, you know, export tons and tons of almonds per year. So you can imagine how much water they're using to do that. So very similar situation there. Um, I can start getting into this article that will cover a lot of the broader topics as far as neoliberalism in Australia, unless you had anything else, Jared, before I get into it. Sounds good. All right, cool. So this article was written in June of 2018. It's by Richard Dennis, and it's called The Big Con, How Neoliberals Convinced Us That There Wasn't Enough to Go Around. So he says, Australia just experienced one of the biggest mining booms in world history. But even at the peak of that boom, there was no talk of the wonderful opportunity we finally had to invest in world-class mental health or domestic violence crisis services. Nor was there much talk from either major party about how the wealth of the mining boom gave us a once-in-a-generation opportunity to invest in remote indigenous communities. Nope, the peak of the mining boom was not the time to help those who had missed out in decades past, but the Howard government thought that this was a great time to introduce permanent tax cuts for high-income earners. These, of course, are the tax cuts that caused the budget deficits we have today. Millions of tons of explosives were used during the mining boom to build more than 100 new mines, but it wasn't just prime farmland that was blasted away in the boom, it was access to the middle class. At the same time that Gina Reinhart was becoming the world's richest woman on the back of rising iron ore prices, those on minimum wage were falling further and further behind their fellow Australians. Like Joe Hockey, Reinhardt saw the problem of inequality as having to do more with character of the poor than with the rules of the game. Quote, if you're jealous of those with more money, don't just sit there and complain. Do something to make more money yourself. Spend less time drinking or smoking than socializing and more time working. End quote. Ah, bootstraps. Yeah, cancel your Netflix. Uh, stop ordering uh, avocado toast. You'll be rich. You uh, should look up a picture of what Gina Reinhardt looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very important that you look at a picture of her while you read that quote because she's a fucking awful, disgusting person with awful, disgusting views, and she looks the way her views are. Yeah. Um, all of these ghouls look exactly oh, how they do. But Joe Hockey as well is like, a, he was our treasurer, right? Mm-hmm. All these guys are the worst people in the world, I'd just like to say. But yeah, the mining boom, no one paid tax on any of our resources. They pay a very low rate of tax. Mm-hmm. Um, even though we're the world's number one exporter of iron, uh, we're the world's second largest exporter of coal, we're the world's largest exporter of uranium and gold as well. We mine a lot of gold and diamonds. That was the other thing we're the largest. We have an absurd amount of mineral wealth and it is all privately owned and it is not being taxed. The only way that it gets to ordinary Australians is our miners get paid a lot of money. So people who work in the mines get paid about two hundred to 300000 Australian dollars a year. Mm-hmm. That's the base rate, which is a lot of money. Yeah. Um, actually, I think the base rate is about 100000 but it goes up to 200, sometimes 300. That's a lot of money, but it's like, mines don't employ that many people. And that's not enough people to have like the wealth get to everyone. They just don't tax, they don't tax any of these mines. And they sell them. They sell these mines to private companies for cents on the dollar. It's, uh, it's not ideal. And people just put up with it because we have 
relatively comfortable lives, even though yeah. we're literally sitting on a gold mine, like a literal <laughs> gold mine, <laughs> literally. I mean, so while you were saying that, all I could think of was, and I'm sure Ward was thinking the same thing, the Parenti quote, where he's saying, like, these countries aren't poor, they're rich, they're rich in resources, they're just overexploited. Australia, even though it's a developed country, the money is just being robbed from you and sent elsewhere, or it's just sent to the pockets of the elites that you have. But I mean, getting to that exact same point, the very next line in this article was, Australia isn't poor. It is rich beyond the imagining of anyone living in the 1970s or 80s. But so much of that new wealth has been vacuumed up by a few, and so little of that new wealth has been paid in tax that the public has been convinced that ours is a country struggling to pay its bills. Convincing Australians that our nation is poor and that our governments, quote, can't afford to provide the level of services they provided in the past has not just helped to lower our expectations of public services and their infrastructure, it has helped to lower our expectations of democracy itself. A public school in Sydney has had to ban kids from running in the playground because it was so overcrowded. Trains have become so crowded at peak hours that many people, especially the frail and the disabled, are reluctant to use them. And those who have lost their jobs now wait for hours on the phone when they reach out to Centrelink for help. And I'm guessing Centrelink is uh, your unemployment it's our, services? It's that doll. Um, yeah. It's been cut so much that basically people who are on it are starving themselves. So it's like $700 a fortnight is what it was. So, which is How long is a fortnight? Two weeks. You really don't know? <laughs> no, I just wanted to fuck with them. I mean, oh. who says fortnight? Who uses fortnight in casual conversation? <laughs> Everyone in this country does. Fucking Australians. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was going to so say, seven... if people aren't using trains anymore, are they driving Subaru Outbacks or are they riding kangaroos? <laughs> both, mate. I don't know So, back to that article a little bit. They say, although people with low expectations are easier to con, fomenting cynicism about democracy comes at a long-term cost. Indeed, as the current crop of politicians is beginning to discover, people with low expectations feel they have nothing to lose. As more and more people live with the poverty and job insecurity that flow directly from neoliberal welfare and industrial relations policies, the scare campaigns run so successfully by the likes of the Business Council of Australia have lost their sting. Scary stories about the economy become like car alarms. Once they attracted attention, but now they simply annoy those forced to listen. It's very true. Go ahead. So, do you see the picture under there? That woman? I copied the whole article. I don't have it up in front of me. But okay, what is so picture? the picture in the article is, that's Pauline Hansen, who's our Nazi lady. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a redheaded, yeah. she's a redheaded individual. She's a Karen looking character. Yeah. Um, she's basically extremely racist. And what this article is talking about is how, as things like Centrelink and other government services get cut and wages stagnate, people are moving to the political poles of the right and the left, except unfortunately, it seems a lot more to the right way, way more to the right. In fact, they literally, the protest yesterday, the anti-lockdown protests, had over 2,000 people, which doesn't sound like much. I mean, Black Lives Matter last year in Australia had tens of thousands of people. But 2,000 organized protesting Nazis is not good. Like, that's still 2,000 too many. Jared, <laughs> are you telling me that capitalism leads to proletarianization of people and as economic conditions worsen for the working class, they become more politically extremist, and that in a nation founded on genocide and settler colonialism, that those people tend towards the far right and racism? No way. Shocker. <laughs> I get that you're comparing these people to Nazis. I agree. I compare similar organizations in our country to Nazis, but I'm kind of curious, especially for our listeners, is, is that public sentiment? I mean, like people of the Labor Party, do they see like these 
anti-mandate protesters. Do they literally call them just commonly Nazis? Uh, so up until recently, no. But there's been a series of investigations by journalists that have basically found out that these protests were astroturfed by white nationalist organizations from fucking Germany. Yep, from fucking yep. Germany through Telegram. You know the app Telegram? Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Yep, so through Telegram. And not only that, the ex-leader of the opposition of the Labour Party literally went on camera last night and referred to them on TV, said these people are man-baby Nazis, mm -hmm. which is the first time a mainstream politician has ever said that. So Love it. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, so up until recently, no, they wouldn't drop the dreaded Nazi. Uh, I wouldn't say that, but <laughs> last night they did. So, well, a uh, lot of people are so like politically illiterate that when like you call people Nazis or fascists, like you sound hyperbolic. You know, you're talking about Indiana Jones villains, not like real people. But it's like, no, like these dudes are legit Nazis and fascists. A lot of the underpinnings for sort of these sort of alt right type people is. They're not engaging in any good faith discussion about anything. It is about making people mad. And whoever gives the shortest response is the winner. Because yeah. it's like, you give any kind of response to anything they say, and then they say, well, you're gay. And then that's like, they, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. But, but that's what I mean, is it's like, for them, they will then be like, you'll present them with all these facts. And then they will just say, well, uh, you suck. And people like you suck. To them, that's the victory, and then they'll be screenshotting that and putting that with their shithead wanker friends, and, you know, that'll me, be circling around. Let me get back uh, to this article. Um, they actually, the next couple of paragraphs do address a similar kind of thing, not quite on the nose of what we're talking about, but I will say, like, part of the reason that the right thinks that the left can't meme is because what's the general way to make fun of left memes? Is that they're too wordy? It's like a paragraph of words as opposed to just, like, a real quick clip? And oh, I don't like reading. <laughs> well, I mean, it's because the right is stupid. They just literally take the simplistic version of everything, and it speaks to them. It confirms their preconceived notions and their biases and their bigotry. But the article here goes... Oh, go ahead, Stoey. Should Bernie have to share 90% of his birthday cake? <laughs> <laughs> so it goes on. After decades of hearing conservative politicians say that government is the problem, a growing number of conservative voters no longer care which major party forms government. If governments can't make a difference and all politicians are corrupt, why not vote for outsiders like Jacqui Lambe? Jackie Lambie. Jackie Lambie, or Cla I should know it's not something like Jacqui. It's like <laughs> yeah. She's Jackie Lambie. Yeah, she's a right-wing independent, who, mm -hmm. and Clive Palmer, is a, he owns a bunch of mines, and he started oh, a political okay. party called Australia First. So. What an outsider. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, why not vote for outsiders like Jackie Lambie or Clive Palmer? There's perhaps no clearer evidence of the short-termism of the liberal and national parties today than their willingness to fan the flames of anti-politician rhetoric without considering that it is their own voters who are most likely to heed the message. Keep in mind, Clive Palmer, a billionaire, owns half the mines in the country. So that this is the outsider who's anti-establishment, all the rest of it. It's like, he's not. Like, You're saying he, he's a businessman doing business. Yeah, he kind of looks like Trump as well. So <laughs> of like, course. Yeah. <laughs> Back when he was the leading campaign against Australia becoming a republic, Tony Abbott famously argued that you couldn't trust politicians to choose our head of state. And more recently, in campaigning against marriage equality, 
Minister Matt Canavan was featured in a television advertisement laughing at the thought that we can trust politicians. Everybody seems to, even people who are not right-wingers, they seem to have memorized some kind of line to make fun of socialists, like socialists for having an iPhone or socialists for living in capitalist countries, and so that they can call us hypocrites. But none of those people seem to have the same sentiment toward politicians who are anti-government. Like, even though people don't choose where they're born, like, I didn't choose to be born in a capitalist country, I didn't choose to be born into a society that makes me have a phone so that I can hold a job or have any kind of semblance of a normal life, but anti-government people who voluntarily, willfully choose to live off your tax dollars by working for the government, that's just fine. Not hypocritical whatsoever. Just speaking to the memes, I don't know who it was that actually made the first meme that was something along the lines of some, of some conservatives saying, if you're not a capitalist, if you're a socialist or communist, why do you have an iPhone? And then mm -hmm. them saying, where was that iPhone actually built? China. If there is one thing I've said to more conservatives than I can even remember to date since that meme first arose, that has been the most successful jaw-dropping, stopping them in the tracks argument I've had. And I've had so much enjoyment doing so. Oh, it's great. When, it, when a conservative has told me, then why do you have an iPhone in your pocket? And I just say, why do you have a Chinese communist iPhone in your pocket is the real question. And I literally, and I've done this many times recently, and out of all the stupid little fucking internet memes, it's the one where they just go, uh. But bro, don't you know that China is capitalist and America is socialist? Come on. <laughs> yeah, but they can't admit that. Even they've already straw man China into being a communist country, which I believe that like, sure, accurate, but they've already in their mind, straw man China into being a communist country. So when you hit them with that, it just fucks their whole world. And it's surprising. It's such a small retort. And I, I just can't believe how much success I've had with that one. Anyway, weird it. tangent. Sorry. <laughs> so convincing Australians that the country was broke also helped convince us that we have no choice but to sell the family silver. But of course we have a choice. Just as there is no right answer as to whether it's better to rent a home or buy one, there is no right answer to whether it's better for governments to own the electricity supply, postal service, or the water supply, or none of these things. Uh, yes, there is. There is a right answer. The government should own them. Fuck you. Whoever wrote this article... <laughs> <laughs> a capitalist government, no. A government actually democratically controlled by working class people, yes, but we can quibble on yeah. that as much as we want. Uh, even even under capitalist control, when things are state-owned, it's better than when they get privatized. Typically, it's yes. It's still not ideal, but it is better when they, than when they get privatized. I have a stat here about electricity in particular. Since it's been privatized in the early 2000s, electricity prices have gone up 180% in Australia. 180%. That's just a free market, bro. Yeah, that's <laughs> inflation. You know, yeah, the, the free market will figure it out. It's because they're printing yeah. money, bro. It's because the Fed's printing money in Australia now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, not, it's not capitalism, bro. It's crony capitalism, okay? <laughs> it's corporatism. And again, not to kind of do what Mike did earlier, where you kind of defend the libertarians of the capitalists, but I mean, their argument is going to be no public ownership is not better under capitalism because public ownership is not capitalism. And I, I get that. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had that debate with you know, leftists who have said, you know, the Soviet Union was not communist or it wasn't socialist. And I'm like, okay, then by your fucking perfect utopian definition, the United States is not capitalist. We're socialist because we are a mix of capitalism and communism. We have public utilities in some sectors. So that makes us socialist. So do you believe the U.S. is socialist? No, yeah. because that's fucking stupid. It's and almost your like both idea are a mix, is and it's a, which is more of which. Yeah, exactly. 
just on the privatization thing as well, they're talking about, you know, selling the family silver, referring to public assets. Mm. And, you know, I said it generally is better even in a capitalist country to have state ownership of utilities. America actually looks at Australia and our model of quote unquote asset recycling, which is just privatization. You guys are actually copying some of the stuff that we've done before you, like toll roads. So appreciate that. Yeah. So one of the main things we've had toll roads for decades since like the nineties and, uh, in Sydney in particular, really ahead of the curve no <laughs> in Sydney in particular, cause I have to go to Sydney a lot for work Okay. when I'm driving around, sometimes I'm spending up to 40 to $50 on tolls in a day. Like, Forty to fifty dollars. is like three miles in a circle at most, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can walk across it in a day, bro. Yeah, <laughs> dude. I will say the one thing I remember about Florida when I've been there a couple times is that you go over bridges and it's like four or five dollar tolls every time. And this was also back in like oh, two thousand nine, yeah. the last time I was there. And it's like this is super Republican, dude. super right wing, super free market Florida where they don't enforce mask mandates or vaccine anything whatsoever. It's like. Do you guys know what you're for at all? Like, what? No, because their fucking tolls are different. It's like in Florida, you hit the turnpike and you go all the way from North Florida to South Florida, you could spend $45, $50 on fucking toll roads, but that's still not fucking public. Yeah, it looks like public on paper, but those fucking private contractors that actually own it are the ones that are getting the real fucking money. And their theory no. is, Oh, well, yeah, at a, at a certain point, it pays back the private contractors that have charged 10 fucking times what it should have cost, and then it becomes public money and goes to the state, even though then we take the state money and pay private fucking contractors to build other roads. It's fucking upset. Sorry. Uh, go ahead. Leave me alone. We're just going to bring it back to America. To, That's what we do. I was, I was about to say, way to make it about America again, guys, <laughs> on the so Australia that, episode. That model that you just pointed to is literally what we... Yeah, that's what we pioneered doing that. So, Thanks. Um, yeah, yeah. Doing business. Um, so, we, we, our toll roads are pretty much all privately owned, and some of them cost up to $15 each Jesus. time you go through. Holy yeah. shit. Wait, what's the Australian dollar like equivalent, like the exchange rate? It's uh, about depends. the same as the US, isn't it? I thought it was like just like. I think it's pretty close. I'm trying to pull yeah. it up right now. Uh, yeah. All right, so the article goes on. Different governments in different countries make different decisions at different points in time. While much of neoliberalism's rhetorical power comes from the assertion that there is no alternative, the simple fact is that the world is full of alternatives. Indeed, even the so-called free marketeers in Australia can see alternatives. Consider stadiums, for example. The New South Wales Liberal government has a long track record of being pro-privatization. It has sold off billions of dollars worth of electricity, water, and health infrastructure. But when it comes to football stadiums, it has no ideological problem with the public ownership nor any fiscal inhibition about spending billions of taxpayer dollars. In 2016, the New South Wales Liberal government spent $220 million buying back ANZ Stadium, built in the 1990s with taxpayer funds at a cost of $690 million, subsequently sold to Stadium Australia Group. Having bought back the stadium, the New South Wales government plans to spend hundreds of millions of dollars of refurbishing it. That same money could build a lot of school science labs, domestic violence crisis centers, or skate parks for bored kids the shopping malls don't want scratching up their marble stairs. For the past 30 years, Australians have been told that we can't afford high-quality public services, that public ownership of assets is inefficient, and that the pursuit of free markets through deregulation would create wealth and prosperity for all. But none of this is true. And I just wanted to say that that is exactly the same problem we have in the U.S. 
as far as like billions of dollars being spent on sports stadiums that can only benefit private owners of those teams while the areas that they're literally in are filled with impoverished citizens. Completely on the money. And I, I wanted to reinforce my point earlier, but you just did so. So I want to reinforce your reinforcement. And that is the fact that, yeah, we know what private market is. We know when you build a fucking stadium for the private, how that works. But public market, we think that means that's fucking done for the public. No, a private contractor gets the job that goes to private ownership. The public gets nothing. It does not matter if it looks like public owned paper, if the actual resource and the money and then what you're fucking building does not go to the fucking public. It's not public. And that's the issue we have in the States. And it seems like that's the issue you have in Australia is that even your public shit is still going to the private sector. And even okay. after you build that fucking thing, private companies are taking the money. And even if public local governments are taking that money, they're then spending that money in the private sector. So I got two examples, right? So number one uh, personal example is we live right next to a bush. So uh, we have pretty bad bush fires here every couple of Bro, years. I got a bush in my backyard. What do you think? They're special? Come on. Oh, you mean like, yeah. you mean forest? Yeah. We, we, yeah. We've had a couple in office. <laughs> yuck, yuck, yuck. <laughs> we, use, uh, we use bush instead of forest. No, I'm going to keep doing that. Sorry. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> I like our idioms, they're nice. Anyway, so we got a bush over there, and uh, in the bush, we got... <laughs> in the bush, we needed a fire break, right? Like, they clear the bush six meters out from the house. So it means if the bush is on fire, the house is less likely to catch on fire. Um, Australia problems. Anyway, so like... <laughs> California the, problems. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we got in contact with our local council, which is our local government, and we were like, hey, we need this fire break. And then they took 12 months to get back. And then they sent these contractors to do it. So the contractors do a half-assed job. They don't do it properly. We get on their asses again. Another 12 months later, they send a different group of contractors <laughs> who has no idea. They have no idea what the last group did. They come, they do it properly. Then we get on their asses again and we go, well, now the bank is just going to erode and the house is going to collapse. So we need, like, can you put something there to make the bank not collapse? Then, like, three months later, they send another group of contractors from a different company to them put in the bank. Like, it's just a joke. There's, like, multiple levels of contracting. Literally, the only purpose of government in Australia is to transfer public money to the private sector. That is the only purpose... We government. can relate. That's the purpose in almost every fucking government. Yeah. We could wrap up the episode on that line right there. That is what <laughs> neoliberalism is, using public yeah. funds to pay privateers and then being surprised when it doesn't work out in your favor or, or for the favor of the working and class. And then blaming the socialism. Oh, the public shit doesn't work. Look, it took them three months to get out there. Socialism's fucking okay. terrible. Wait, are you guys suggesting that capitalism isn't efficient? <laughs> What's going to be really funny is in five years when, you know, we're here saying California and Australia problems and people don't know what a fire bank is. And then everyone is dealing with exactly that same thing in another five years and they know exactly what those problems are. But continue. Yeah. The other example I was going to bring up was we recently built a tunnel in Sydney called the North Connects. It cost billions and billions of dollars. It was built with public money. They said it was going to be public. Cost billions of dollars, lots of different contractors built it, <laughs> and it's a nice tunnel. It shaves off like 20 minutes of driving. It's awesome. As soon as it got How built. How much? How much? 
What's the toll? I'm. How much is the toll? Fifteen dollars each way. Um, <laughs> hey, if it's a dollar a minute, I mean, you just save five dollars, buddy. As soon as soon as it got built, they sold it to the private sector for less than it cost to build. Oh so, my god! Yeah. So that's that's great. That's the other example I was going to bring up. So it's like literally we the, do that the, here too. Here in Georgia, yeah. we we had uh, the four hundred. So basically, when they when they built a toll road called the 400 toll road, the city or the state, I'm, I'm not really sure which one, said we need to make back this much money on the toll road, and then we're going to make it just a regular road. So what we all thought that meant is once we pay for the cost of the toll road in tolls, that it would become a free regular road. But what they did is after we paid back the toll road, they sold it to the private industry who has doubled the toll. <laughs> Oh my God, Jesus! I did want to bring up. I got the conversion, so an Australian dollar is like worth roughly seventy percent of a U.S. dollar. But also, all our shit here costs a lot more money than in the U.S. So, uh, on average, yeah. yeah. So, like, basically, any car that gets imported here gets hit with a luxury car tax. Uh, oh, the those average... poor Subaru Outbacks. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> well, actually, those those Japanese cars don't get hit with that. It's just like it's a lot of American Weird. cars get hit with it. Like I, I don't why. know how much a mu- how much does a Mustang cost in the U.S. Brand new bases between thirty five forty five. Yeah, so here a Mustang gets hit with luxury car tax, and it costs like about seventy grand minimum. Jesus. Oh my god! Jeez. Uh, What's the going rate for like baseline kangaroos? Yeah, kangaroos. <laughs> we have we have state subsidized kangaroos, um, so we don't have to worry about that. We do not have to worry about that. But our car market is more oversaturated than the U.S. We have more choices for cars, and it's because we don't have adequate public transport. We have to have cars. Tell me about it. Yeah. But also, when they're paying seventy thousand dollars for a Mustang, it's not because they're getting hit with this crazy luxury tax. Yeah, that's what it is on paper. But the actual reality is even if I pay $35,000 for that same car, I'm getting hit with the exact same tax just in gas pump because the U.S. has created this beast that requires you to constantly do everything on the roads. We are on the road so much driving our vehicles, it's not funny. All of these fucking oil companies and car manufacturers are in bed together. We're probably paying more here in the U.S. than you are own vehicles they're taxing you because you're getting out of that gas tax that we have to pay wait what's a what's a gallon of gas cost over in australia buddy okay so we use liters so the fuck uh, is that (laughs) some commie shit so the price of a premium here it's been as high as a dollar 90 a liter i have no idea how to convert that i'm an american (laughs) ward help us out buddy Ward, ward what are we doing we're doing liters, liters to gallon. gallons. Oh, fuck. what's a dollar nineteen? The fuck liter? is a kilometer? Ugh. Oh, 90. 90. Oh, sorry. Premium here would be like three fifty, probably. Convert brush fires to bald eagles. <laughs> <laughs> I'm drunk. I'm sorry. Okay, so one liter is point is point two gallons. Point two six. So like a quarter of a gallon is a liter. Yeah, your gas is way more expensive. 
Way yes. more expensive. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is it's, but you don't our gas drive is way as, more expensive. But, yeah, but you, you don't drive as much on average. Like Australians probably... Ward, help but me All of here. Australia is like okay, the rural on. farmland where everything is 15 minutes yeah. away driving but in America. Let's, like. let's find out. Average... I, I can tell you. I'm, All right, so what, what was the price for per liter again? Oh, no, we already figured out they're paying way more per gallon. Yeah, no, I'm trying to get exact numbers. Now Sterling has moved the goalpost to they don't drive as much, which I also think may be bullshit. Yeah, I'm not listening to Sterling. I'm trying to get an exact number. <laughs> Look, we're, we're doing a fucking Joe Rogan thing where we're looking this up as we go. Yeah, pull so, that shit up, Jamie. The, the, average, <laughs> the, <laughs> the average Australian apparently it drives 13,300 kilometers per year. So obviously figure out how much that is in miles, but let's find out what America is. Is fourteen thousand miles per year. So, what is thirteen point three kilometers versus fourteen point three miles? It's less. And like, how much less? I expect it to be half as much. So, thirteen thousand kilometers, right? Yeah, thirteen point three. Little under eighty one hundred miles. So fourteen thousand. So, like I said, I was almost on the money. It's it's not quite half, but it's damn near close. It. So that means the average American drives about twice as much as the average Australian. And that, that's kind of the point I was getting to is we spend so much in fucking gas and shit that these companies are in bed together. Like it's more or less one fucking organization doing that shit. So I don't think that we spend less than Australians. I think that they just hit you with a tax because you don't spend as much as us. Yeah, probably. But also we have, it's not just taxes as well. Companies will just be like, oh, we're sending that to Australia. So we're going to add a bunch of extra zeros yeah. to things and you you probably yeah. do at the end of the day if you really ran the numbers you probably do spend more because you have more of those little loophole fucking areas where someone taxing on an extra five thousand dollars doesn't even really like catch anyone's attention yeah all right well let's get into some of these questions that i had i think we got through enough of that article we got through not even half of it but um what i wanted to do with this episode was give people an idea of what neoliberalism was like in australia and i think we accomplished that as far as handing over public services to private markets and how that has affected the Australian working class. I just wanted to get in some of these questions just to spark some discussion to wrap up the episode. But I wanted to ask, how big is QAnon in Australia? Because I feel like some of that has crossed the oceans and infected some people over there. So you were the saying that's like, when America coughs, the world gets a cold. Mm -hmm. Uh, or rather, when America heard. coughs, the world gets coronavirus. It seems to be the... <laughs> you mean when China coughs, bro? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, ha uh, I haven't heard that, but I love it. So carry on. Yeah, so with all of America's satellite client states slash vassals, which is what Australia and Europe is for the most part, um, I don't know, a way of thinking about it is if something's happening in America, it's probably going to happen here just five years later. So QAnon is here and a bunch of journalists have like infiltrated some of these QAnon groups and they have about 20,000 people who are probably from Australia in these groups. So <laughs> we have a population of 27 million nationally. That's the whole population. Uh, 20,000 people being in these like QAnon, anti-lockdown, anti-vaxxer groups. I don't care that some of them are not in other groups. If you're marching alongside them, you're part of that group. Go fuck yeah. yourself. <laughs> You know, people can hem and haw about, oh, not all of them are this, not all of them are that. But it's like, if you're there, you are at least endorsing it. There's good guys like, on both sides. I yeah. kind of want to ask, like, what form does it take? Because especially with QAnon, that's really weird. Like, I can understand the anti-vax thing. I can understand people being suspicious of, like, the deep state or whatever. 
what I don't understand is like QAnon to me seems like it was a particularly American phenomenon because it involved what they called the American deep state. And it was like supposedly the cabal, but it's like, I guess some of those ideas stretch worldwide, but like what kind of forms does that take? I just want to say I had a similar discussion and I want to shout out one of my Instagram fans and uh, fans of the pod, Goth Holiday, fucking awesome motherfucker. He brought up a question that led us to a discussion about why we're losing traction on some of these far right wing uh, ideologies and why QAnon, you know, is is so successful or other right wing ideologies are so successful, whereas leftism is having such a hard time. And I think this applies to pretty much every country touched by imperialism and neoliberalism is that we're so far into generations and generations of neocolonial brainwashing that the public here and there and everywhere else that neocolonialism has touched is so primed and ready for that right wing fucking crazy nut job shit that, I mean, what Fox News sounds like today, if you were to go back 20 years, would blow your fucking mind. It, it's taken generations to get us where we are. QAnon is not an explosion of something that happened randomly. QAnon is what happens on this time scale. If it wasn't QAnon, it would have been something else anon. We are just now ready for that. And I, I feel like Australia has succumbed to the same exact issues we have is when you have such an imperial neoliberal institutions that are pushing so much of this, it's much easier for you to hear on TV or through the internet these kind of right-wing theories and say that makes sense to me than leftist theories that go against everything that not only you've been taught, it's like we've been conditioned, not only us, but generations, our grandparents, their grandparents, we are just primed for this shit. And that, that to me, is, is kind of the answer on why QAnon is succeeding. And that kind of led us into another discussion that I'd like to have on another episode, but just going into doom scrolling, like why? Yes, there is a way to pull it back and start pu pushing the public sentiment left, but the problem is the amount of time that would take, we don't have. The climate crisis is coming, the fucking climate wars, the water wars, all this shit is way too fucking close and we don't have time. And that's why I don't think we're going to succeed at converting all these fucking nut jobs to the left. Like, I think we're going to hit a crazy catastrophe and only leftism can be born out of that just because of our timeline. Well, as I, as I said, Australia's had for the last 27 years, 23 of those years, we've had our right wing government. So we haven't been able to vote in our version of the Democrats. That's crazy. We had those guys from 2007 to 2013. And then either side of that, it's just been conservatives. Yeah. So, in fact, our, our version of the Democrats only have like 30% of popular support now. So, yeah. Jesus. So, it's our, our version of your Republicans have like 70% of support of our country. Awesome. So, yeah. Would you have board? Uh, it's a tag onto uh sterling's doom scrolling i know we probably all read about the or at least heard about the uh ipcc report about what one and a half degrees of warming would look like well just within the last week the un warned that is something like over 200 countries even if they meet proposed uh greenhouse gas like limits we will still reach 2.7 degrees of warming nice yeah 
Which they're not even making any attempts at doing. They're not even like paying no, lip service. Not even close. That. That's saying like if 200 some odd countries reached their like limited goal, proposed goal, we'd still hit 2.7 degrees of warming. We'll be fueled by Australian coal, baby! <laughs> Max. <laughs> so, uh, Jared, along those same lines, do you guys have any openly pro-QAnon politicians? Because we definitely have those here. We have like our Marjorie Taylor Greens. Um, yeah, we do. Um, so with QAnon, our version of QAnon is exactly the same as yours, and it's about America, basically. It doesn't really talk about Australia that much. As far as politicians go, we have some politicians who do dog whistles to QAnon, but no one who outright supports. And in fact, our Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, did a speech last year, which was an apology to victims of institutional sexual abuse. That's oh, the God. Catholic Church. Uh, schools, other churches. Well, I'm actually um, surprised they named the Catholic Church. Like, that's kind of like a step up because, like, here, that's actually one of the questions I wanted to ask is if your version of your far right nut jobs, if they obsess about fake missing children and fake abused children while ignoring the very real missing and abused children, like indigenous people, victims of the Catholic Church and other churches. Okay, like, so they, they will ignore indigenous people, of course, um, yeah. but they. <laughs> They don't like Catholics at all. Wow, that's like old-fashioned whiteness. Like, Yeah, yeah, it's like old-fashioned. Uh, a lot of them are like Protestants um, of various stripes. Anyway, our Prime Minister gave a speech last year which was an apology to victims of sexual uh, abuse in institutions. And a QAnon person who is the Prime Minister's best friend, I probably should have mentioned that, um, the Prime Minister has a best friend who's in QAnon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like Yay. he slipped to the prime minister or the prime minister's speechwriter. He said, when you talk about sexual abuse, can you put a line in there that says ritual sexual abuse? Oh. Yeah, ritual. Rich is the key word there. And he did it. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> so the leader of our country uh, got up there on stage and at one point said, victims of ritual sexual abuse. And that was a huge victory for QAnon people, and they were going crazy over it. Right-wingers were going crazy, and uh, people who were actual victims of sexual uh, violence crazy. In institutions, no, they didn't go crazy. They were like, why the fuck is this QAnon bullshit yeah. in this speech? Like, why? This was supposed to be about victims, and then they've just inserted their fan fiction into the speech about you know, actual things that happened that were really bad. Yes. Like it's these, these right winger guys, right? These QAnon people, um, anti-vaxxers and all the rest of them, they do not understand or care that their little, what is to them a little side project, which is this made up bullshit fan fiction that QAnon is. It, for them, it's just fun. But for other people, it's a very real impacting thing. And if you're a victim of, sexual violence and you're listening to the head of state give an apology and then you pick up that the head of state is including QAnon propaganda in that speech then all of a sudden that apology doesn't mean anything and in fact it's quite insulting yeah i wanted to ask you if people in australia know about the the refugee island camps that you have because i know that they're it's a pretty big crisis, like on a par with our border camps here and our ice camps. Are, are they on islands or are they just on the coast or whatever? Like, but they're, these are people who are coming from 
Asian countries and they're coming by boat and then they get stopped there and then they get held in these camps and they're just kind of forgotten about. Like, what's the what's the situation there? Do people care? Do they know? And does QAnon pay any attention to that whatsoever? Or do they just write that off like they do with RS camps here? So QAnon people don't care about that at all, of course. In fact, there was a very funny article by one of our, you know how, the, you know the Onion News? Yeah. Onion News Network. Yeah. We have a version of that called the Batuta Advocate. What, what is a Batuta? I don't know. Some town in Australia, <laughs> okay, I think. Okay. Um, Batuta. Anyway, so the, they, <laughs> they did an article that was like, uh-oh, these freedom protesters forgot to attend a protest for refugees. That was pretty funny. So it's like they don't, they don't recognize refugees as people or victims in any way. So these refugees are mostly from the Middle East, even though they come from Asia, they're from the Middle East. They travel from the Middle East via land down through India, down to Indonesia. Then they get smuggled here on boats. Now we intercept the boats because if we let them land in Australia, they get given a bunch of rights and they're allowed to stay here. We intercept the boats before they get to Australia and we put them on islands like Christmas Island, which is a wonderful name Yay. for a prison. <laughs> and uh, we put them... Did you say on... Christmas Island? That's the name of the island. Uh, yep. Everyone, they get presents though, right? There's at least presents. Um, the, the, present, the present is homelessness. <laughs> <laughs> so if they reach Australian shores, they would actually be given various rights and they would actually have to be treated like refugees under the UN refugee codes. So specifically, our process for dealing with boat refugees is to get around our obligations that we normally do actually follow. So to get around <laughs> those obligations, we catch them out in the ocean, then we put them on the island, and then there's a media blackout. No one knows what's going on there. Um, everyone knows it's bad. It's worse than your detention camps in Mexico, apparently. Uh, sorry, um, Texas, um, where you put... Same, same thing. That's Mexico. Yeah. It is. It's, uh, it, is it belongs for... to Mexico. <laughs> it's the same sort of thing, but we don't get very much media coverage except when they riot every couple of years. Yeah. Jesus. I just want to say, A, that is very enlightening to say the fucking least. But B, just because what we were talking about a second ago with the satire websites, you know, the, the irony is not lost on me. And I swear every single year this gets more and more true. But these satire news organizations are no longer fucking satire. Like when, when the onion throws, you know, this stick out there, it's funny, but it's funny because it's fucking true. And more and more these satire news organizations are hitting the mark more than our real news organizations are. Like, it is much more likely that the Onion News article makes a valid and true point than Fox News does. And that is fucking terrifying. Because it's almost like, yeah, that, that's cool that they're going in that direction, but it almost turns the truth into satire. And it, that's one thing that scares me about the Onion, is that we're getting so into and people sharing like the Onion and stuff, and I still do myself, but the more we share the satire as the truth, as, hey, this is funny, this is a joke because it's true, and we don't hold the actual real news organizations accountable, like, it's scary to me. It really is. Yeah. What you're saying with the, uh, the refugees um, coming from Asia down to Australia, that's just strikingly remarkable to um, what we had here in the U.S. for wet foot, dry foot policy regarding Cubans, where it's like, oh, if Cubans land 
feet on American soil, like they have to get treated as refugees and eventually get American citizenship and they get rights and everything. And then it's just like this concerted effort to prevent that from happening that no one really talked about. Yeah, so in general, Australians are pretty apathetic about it. It's out of sight, out of mind. We all know that it's happening. Everyone knows that it's happening. But in general, people sort of just shrug their shoulders. I'd say it's very similar to how a lot of people in the US view it with, with your migrants. That's kind of the, the way it works here. I mean, obviously, you probably see a lot of American media. You definitely hang out in the Discord enough to know like what we're saying here in America. But it's like, if you go out in the street and you were to just hold a protest about ice camps, you're not wrong on the street is going to look at you like you're weird like you're some weird activist kind of like lefty hippie kind of person who cares about this thing that we're all just used to that we all just kind of go about our day and go about our jobs forgetting about because that's how life is in the imperial core just really quick to piggyback kind of off that idea and this is more talking towards american and mexican relations more than australia because i'm not so familiar with it but a lot of our immigration policies it are based on a very specific thing, and that's most of your day-to-day conservatives think that they don't want Mexicans coming across the border because, oh, they're going to come and work for fucking half the pay I work for. And then that, that leads to a, a leftist theory is if they are willing to come and work for half the pay, why would these capitalist companies not uh, try to pass law that allows them to do that? If you're a capitalist organization, if I'm the Ford manufacturing plant why would i not want all of these immigrants crossing the border and bringing down the cost of labor that would sound like something that they should be fighting for but there's a reason because ford also owns the fucking plant in mexico they don't want them leaving because they're getting them for a fucking dollar an hour in mexico we have our manufacturing yeah we have exactly legally we have all these manufacturing companies on this foreign soil in Mexico that are just outlandishly underpaying people legally by the law and getting out of paying taxes. That's why we have immigration policy is because they don't want them realizing they can come here and by law get seven times minimum what they are making there. They're also sort of aware that they rely on migrants as a cheap form of labor. There's like the two prongs of it. There's like the public facing where it's like we're anti-migrants, we're racist, we want to put people in camps, and then they put people in camps. But then the other face of it is like the extent to which they put people in camps isn't enough to actually stop migration. It's just enough to cause misery for a lot of people, but also signal that this is what you believe. While at the same time, you're allowing enough people to come in so that you have access to a cheap pool of exploitable labor. It's the same thing exactly. here. Yeah. Is we exactly. have all of our farmers, our beautiful, blessed farmers that no one can say anything wrong about. We pay backpackers <laughs> who are migrants, who have come here for a holiday. We pay them far below minimum wage to pick fruit for these people. It's exactly. the same thing. And, and yeah, we, we have exactly that here. Like how many fucking deep south conservative construction or roofing business owners do you know that are so anti-immigration but have a quote-unquote cruel mexicans that get that shit done dirt cheap i mean just to wrap it up so neoliberal economic policy making life tougher for working people has led them into this type of conspiracy thinking and xenophobia that is literally what causes all of this 
Well, the coupling of these neoliberal policies, but also being in a country that is traditionally racist, right-wing, predominantly white and Protestant, and built on genocide and colonialism, it's going to result in this right-leading thinking because it's going to be anti-communist. It's going to be all the same stuff we said in our QAnon episodes. That's the result of it. When you just consistently rob the working class of everything that holds it up, people are going to lash out in some kind of way, and they're going to lean towards conspiracy thinking and hating immigrants. And Sterling, you reiterated that because when you say that places like Ford should actually sponsor illegal immigration because it provides them with cheap labor over the border, that's the half thought, right? You finished the thought with explaining why they don't want that to happen because they already have factories in Mexico where they pay people even less. But the half thought is as far as libertarians and right-wing people get, like mouth breathers like fucking dunk, literally thinks that the U.S. is a fascist but also a socialist state because corporations <laughs> are in league with the government. And he would just stop right there. He would say, oh, no, actually, it's companies like Ford that are in league with the government to get all these illegal immigrants over the border to steal our jobs and make us all work for less because he doesn't understand the full picture, which is that outsourcing, removing borders for companies, but not for individuals is what creates yep. the situation that we're in. That's the yep. difference between the left and the right is we have the entire picture, whereas they have half of it, which is why they can meme with their short little quips and their racist bullshit, whereas we actually understand the whole picture and we need a paragraph and a, and a meme to get it across. We can spend our whole lives sitting here trying to like give information and convince these people to our side and it will never happen, which is why you have to be an authoritarian. You have to lock them away. You have to re-educate them. You have to just do something with them or physically remove them from society because they will never be on our side. They will never be functional people in a human society. But sorry, I'm off on a tangent again. Guys. I just want to say fucking bars. In fact, I can tell how much you've been hanging out with Jaron recently. <laughs> that, that was, you were harnessing your inner uh, Jaron for that. Maybe not so much the last authoritarian. Yeah, I was going to say, buddy. <laughs> Everything else, I was just like, oh my God, I could not possibly put it better. Yeah, Jaron. Can I, can I just say to add to that, that um, politics is never about convincing or talking to people or bringing in facts. Politics is always about power. It's about who has power, who wields power, and who uses the power for what reason. You're never going to like convince people of everything. You just need to have the power. Someone needs to have it. That's what it's about, ultimately. Yeah. And you also yeah. have to make systems that allow the working classes to hold people accountable because somebody's going to be in a position to wield the power. Somebody has to direct <laughs> things because systems require organization. So you just have to make sure that your system allows those people to be held accountable by the working class people that that system is supposed to serve. Otherwise, it's going to end up exactly where capitalism has led us. Um, we lost Jared as far as the video is concerned. I'm assuming he may still be here as audio. Still here, the camera oh, just okay. ran out of battery. That's yeah, a I had a feeling. <laughs> All right, well, we're gonna we gotta wrap. We're like way overdue. This is gonna be a long shit show of an episode. Just for any of our listeners, maybe I'll sub I should put some kind of note in the beginning to let everybody know that poor Jared tolerated us at like nine to eleven thirty in the morning while we got sat here and got hammered. Uh, That's okay. <laughs> time difference. Yeah. Hey, let's have this episode about Australia, but talk about America for like half <laughs> of, of it. Of course, of course. <laughs> typical. <Americans. laughs> All right. Well, um. Jared, do you have anything you want to plug? Because we're going to just uh, do our little wrap-up here. Do you want any social media or anything that our listeners should find of yours? Um, as far as things to plug, uh, check out Australia. Um, find, do a Google search. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> just fucking Google it, bro. Google Australia. That's like, a big I ask. Uh, the country does exist. 
Um, I don't really have anything to plug. I guess if anyone who's listening to this is from Australia, probably try to get organized and join some organizations around. They do exist. Unfortunately, the largest socialist organization in Australia is a Trotskyist one. Oh, no, so, no, no. Yeah, but, you know, there is a proper ML party, uh, two of them, in fact. So, you know, just check them out. There's the CPA, which is the Communist Party of Australia, and there's also the Australian Communist Party. They had a they had we a have both out. as well of course <laughs> they had so, a that's, out. That's, that's why we have both too <laughs> yeah it's kind of weird it was over some weird czechoslovakian nonsense in the 80s so <laughs> and judean know. people's front <laughs> fuck off we're the people's front of judea this yeah, is we why know. we're losing <laughs> i know it's so stupid why why like <laughs> anyway um that's that's the only thing really i can say or you want to plug your instagram yeah, you guys can follow me on Instagram at uh, Millennial Leftist, common spelling. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at W-A-R-D-L-A-W-L-E-Y. And then for everything else, you can find us on our link tree at linktree slash turn leftist. You can find our Patreon, link to our t-shirts, Discord, all of our social medias, and uh, anything else relevant to the podcast. Yeah, so. One, we've, we've sold a t-shirt during this episode, so that was cool. Hell yeah. Uh, and God damn it, what was number two? We're running low on Reagan and Satan t-shirts, so we should be releasing the trickle-down economics t-shirt soon. Yeah. Was that it? I was guessing. Oh, yeah, you got any kind of time frame on that? Okay, you remember, you remember how I said this last weekend I was going to work on the design and have it ready for the printer, and then I didn't do that thing I said I was going to do? So, hmm. it com- completely unrelated, but that you said you were held busy, up. I understood. <laughs> Lazy communists. <laughs> Um, it, the the ball is rolling, though I haven't given it the first push, so I guess it's not a good analogy. I have planned on pushing the ball, and then the ball will roll, but that's the best I've got right now. That's all right. We'll get those t-shirts out eventually, probably in the next few weeks. I would say probably another month or so. Is that a reasonable time frame? We'll have the second t-shirt design out. I, I think it is reasonable that within a month, they should at least be to the printer's our local print shop here in Georgia, Six Feathers Clothing, has done such a good job at turning around our shirts as we've sent them to him. I could only imagine that he's going to turn that around within a couple weeks of me giving it to him. So I would say to be able to purchase the Trickle Down Economic shirts should be ready within a month of hearing this episode. It's totally fair. And also, this episode is not going to come out for like another two weeks after we recorded it. So probably within the next two or three weeks. I actually accounted for that in my, okay. uh, in my, in my estimate because I'm lazy. But... Within the quarter. Within the quarter, you know, you can buy a shirt. You right, let, me just plug our, uh, let me shout out to our Patreon subscribers. Um, so thank you, as always, to Stuart, Pete, Colton, Ian, Michael, El Robert, Allison, Zach, James, Raven Enigma, Marvin, Kay Hrida, not drinking water 69, second James, Mike, Madboy, Christian, Elam, Venture X, Jaron has the best opinions, Jared, Hayden, another Jared, Bill Killionaires. Actually, I think that first Jared is you, right, Jared? Yes, it is. And it's spelled me. the same yeah. way. I was going to say. Oh, yeah. It's me. I'm going char- to charge you a fucking luxury tax on that. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, you know Marks, David. Tristan, Devante, your mother, Charlotte, a third James, 
Bishop Mew, Rural Marxist, MC, John Bovey Fan 420, Aaron, Kyle, Jean Claude Manhands, Mail, Phil, Blackwater Janitor, and Jay Reese. Thank you all so much. I love that Blackwater Janitor. (laughs) Yeah. And Connor's really cool. Wait till you meet him when he comes in the episode. He's a good guy. All right. Jared, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, it was a delight. Definitely cool to talk about Australia and uh, put down some misconceptions that people may have of it. Like I said at the beginning, like for the longest time, I had this idea that Australia was like a much better place to be in than America. And it turns out it <laughs> seems like it's mostly the same, except you guys have some healthcare. Yeah, it seems like it's very similar, unfortunately. But, you know, that's the neoliberal hell world that we live in. So thank you for doing that, Jared. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks for putting up with uh, three drunk Americans who uh, can't <laughs> stay on topic about Australia at all. Three drunk tankies. So good. I had so fun. Yeah, if you ever have anything else you want to come and talk with us about, uh, feel free. Just let us know. No worries. We'll do. I've thoroughly enjoyed this. Cool. Well, take care, comrade. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night. Peace. Bye-bye.